Welcome to the Modern Jewish Girl Podcast. I'm Jenna, lawyer by training, writer and teacher by choice. Originally from New York, I am a proud wife and mother living in the holy city of Jerusalem. Join me as we delve into the Holy Torah's teachings and apply them to our lives. I keep it short and sweet, but always deep. Welcome. This week is a fun episode. I got to feature our friends on the podcast, Sarah Pachter. Sarah is the author of the new book, Is It Ever Enough? A Journey Toward Joyful Living. I love that title. Published by Feldheim. Her and I speak about her unique Jewish background, her career as a speaker and now a writer while raising five kids, and of course, her newest book. A bit about Sarah. Sarah Pachter is a dynamic, motivational speaker who's lectured throughout the U.S. and Israel. For the past 13 years, Sarah has passionately taught women of all ages and levels of Jewish observance, drawing in large crowds with her innovative and personal touch. In addition to lecturing for many organizations, schools, and synagogues, she is a Kala teacher, a teacher for brides. She's a dating coach and a mentor. Sarah runs growth groups in private homes and meets with individuals for one-on-one private sessions. Sarah's been featured on the radio, podcasts, and is a regular columnist and a freelance writer for the Jewish Press, H.com, and the Jewish Home, as well as many other publications. In addition to her newest book, Is It Ever Enough?, published by Feldheim just a few months ago, she also authored the book Small Choices, Big Changes, published by Targum Press. I also read that book and I also loved it. And I speak in the podcast how one of the unique things about Sarah is that she combines personal anecdotes with Jewish wisdom, with modern psychology and culture, and in doing all of that, she's able to extract beautiful, deep life lessons that is really relevant to anyone. So I highly recommend her book. I link to her website below. And Sarah currently resides in Los Angeles with her husband and five children, which is where we met when I was in Los Angeles. So very grateful to know her and to call her a friend, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Sarah, I'm very, very excited to have you here and to be speaking about your new book, and uh, thank you so much for, for joining me. Thank you for having me. This is such an honor. I'm so excited, and uh, thank you. So I want first, just so readers and listeners um, can learn a little bit more about you, can you share yeah. just a little bit about your background Jewishly? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So basically, it's funny, as a young child, our family was pretty traditional. Um, You know, we lit candles on Friday night, we made Kiddush, we had challah, you know, and we didn't really go to synagogue all that much. And uh, I remember even as an eight-year-old, I actually did a project for Sunday school for Hebrew school. And it was a project about Shabbat. And I remember I made this whole thing. It was Kiddush, challah, and you know the candles and then that was it and I was like showing my sister this project and she's like you know Sarah like Shabbat is also on Saturday and I was like oh my gosh I I had no idea so this was this was our background we were more traditional Jewish and not fully fully observant okay um and then it's it's interesting because you know people often ask well how did how did all this transformation take place so it started with my sister She went to uh, a a non-Orthodox day camp, actually, in Atlanta. She was a counselor, and she met this girl that was also not Orthodox, but going to the Orthodox high school, Mm. and she begged and begged and begged my my parents to send her there. She was actually in a school called St. Francis, uh, believe it or not. (laughs) 
Yeah. Which, um, you know, so she was she really wanted to go to a place where there were Jewish people. I mean, she was the token Jew in her grade. And my parents didn't want to let her. They really, really wanted like a top, top, top education. They wanted Ivy League. They wanted, you know, they didn't want to set her up into like a what they considered not to be such a great education. Mm. And finally, she she begged them. She got her way and she started going to the Orthodox Jewish high school in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, the, the, the principal of the school invited my parents and our family to spend Shabbat with them. Now, you have to understand, my dad is French. And in French culture, you never sleep in somebody's house. Like, that is not done. Yeah, yeah. So, and my mom was, is the Southern Belle. And she was like, you know, hospitality. Oh, it's so nice. Like, let's do it, Michelle. You know, my dad's name is Michelle. And finally, mom wins. You know, we go and we spent the whole Shabbat there. Wow. And we all really. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wild. It was our first Shabbat ever. And we really did it like the real way, you know, and, and we enjoyed it. And my parents got us together for like a family meeting and they're like, do you guys want to keep Shabbos? And me, you know, I wrote the book, small choices, big changes. So this is so typical. My answer, I was like, oh, why don't we just not turn on the television? Okay. That was my response. You know, small choices. How old were you? At I was that about time? nine years old. I was about nine years wow. old. Wow. Wow. That's such a mature and, yeah. answer. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't really ready to go all in. You know what I mean? And yeah. my parents were, my parents really wanted it. I think that family meeting was more of like, a, this is what we're doing and we're letting you know, you know, but they wow. made us feel like we made the decision. But yeah, so we started to keep Shabbat. We, we got a Shabbat house. We started, you know, going to the religious neighborhood on Shabbats and, you know, it was a, it was really a process, but it was really from that one Shabbat that we started completely changing our lives. Mm. Um, That's amazing. But either way, like, yeah, it was, it's pretty powerful actually. <laughs> I never knew that. that one Shabbat can change an entire family's future. Like really, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then in high school, I, so we were observant, we were, you know, Shomer Shabbat, Kashrut, everything. And I, even though I went to the Orthodox high school that my sister had attended, my grade was, was primarily not Orthodox kids. Mm. Like most of the kids in my grade. And at the time in the school didn't really keep Shabbat or kosher, you know, I had a handful of Shabbat observing friends and and kosher friends. Mm. So I remember like going to restaurants with my, you know, not as religious friends and I'd be the only one not eating, you know, cause I kept kosher and Shabbat, but Mm. I, I didn't really, I didn't really have a why. Do you know what I mean? Like I was spiritual, wanted to, but I didn't, I didn't really have purpose or meaning behind it. Um, mm-hmm. So then I spent some time in seminary and that's when things really solidified and it became my journey and it became my answer and it became so deep and meaningful to me. Um, so I would say like doing that, that several years of learning in Israel and really taking it to the next level, that was the main transformation I would say for me. That's amazing. That's so cool. And I love how, even though your parent, your sister and your parents kind of started their, the journey, you really made it your own and, and found your way. So that's, that's a very beautiful, I never knew that story. Yeah. But you know, what's wild is that my mom actually for years was praying that we would one day be able to keep Shabbat. So, and her prayers got answered because all of her children and all of her grandchildren today keep Shabbat and we're all Orthodox. We all keep kosher, you know, we're observing. 
Yeah. And, and it was a question because my brother was in Duke when we, when we were first keeping Shabbat. So he came home from college one weekend, we're living in a different Shabbat house. He's like, what's going on, you know? And so it definitely was a beautiful thing to see the full circle of that, you know? Wow. That's amazing. That's, that's very, very inspiring. And uh, yeah, I always say like, I grew up in the five towns and we lived in the more religious area. And then my parents actually moved to the more like secular area because they didn't feel like, you know, they had a community because they weren't religion. Right. And it's like, I always say like, if one family had invited my parents for Shabbat, oh, wow. Like it probably would have made such a difference. It's it's so amazing to hear that story. Yeah. Oh Um, wow! It's just one family invited you. That's unbelievable. Wow! Thank you you for coming. That's that's eye opening. That's really eye opening. Yeah, yeah. So now that we know a bit about your Jewish background, how you got into speaking and now writing? Because you're very good. So thank (laughs) you. That's so kind of you. Um, That's so nice of you to say. First of all, before I answer that, I have to say you, I have to like lay on the compliments to you because you wrote an incredible book. I read it. I was in tears, not once, but twice. I had tears in my eyes from your ability to depict things. And it's almost like you're painting with your words. It's unbelievable how the person can really see exactly what you're describing. And it was just, it was really moving your book. I highly recommend it to a lot of people. I've, I've given it to people and I've told many people about it. I'm, I'm just so impressed with you. Um, So thank you. I'm so honored to be here because you're really, you're really the author here. But um, anyway, so I, as I said, I went to Israel and when I came back from Israel, actually my first year in Israel, there was zero programming on Shavuot for women, like absolutely nothing. Mm. And I decided, all right, well, if there's nothing going on here in the Atlanta community, I'm going to make a program for women's learning. And so I made some sushi at my house. I made a bunch of, you know, things, refreshments, this and that. I invited women to come late at night at midnight to come learn. And people stayed until three, four o'clock in the morning. We, I gave a shear and we learned together and there was chavrusas and it was just such a beautiful moment. Over 50 women came wow. and it was really like, it was a big moment. So that I would say was like the very first time I ever gave you know, kind of a lecture, so to speak. And after that, I was invited to speak for a lot of schools and shuls, uh, either in Atlanta and then later in New York when I was living in New York. But the first time that it was kind of real, I would say, was I was invited to substitute for this big Rebetzin, Rebetzin for the Jewish Enrichment Center in Manhattan. I don't know if you're familiar with the JEC. Yeah. Okay, so I was asked to speak for them. It was very last minute because she last minute couldn't come and they had nobody. So someone had suggested me. Now I was like 20 or 21 years old. Okay, I was really young. They did not want me. They're like, there's nothing that a 21 year old can teach these young professionals who were like 27 to 35, you know? So they didn't really want me, but they didn't have a choice because they didn't have anyone else. So I gave this lecture and, you know, to everyone's surprise, it went really well. Uh, they ended up inviting me to lead some trips in Israel. So we we did that as a family. Uh, we had one child at the time. We did that for three, four years. I worked wow. at the JC. Week, it turned into like a weekly shear, then like twice weekly I was going in. It was, it really kind of snowballed. Um, and then when we moved to LA, you know, it just kind of expanded from there. Everything just, each thing led to the next. Wow. So I would say that's kind of how the uh, the, the speaking began. But then with writing, 
basically when I moved to LA, the JEC asked if I would do a video conference every week from LA for their students. And I really didn't feel comfortable being online in that fashion with my video. I I just didn't feel, it didn't feel comfortable to me, even though I highly respect anyone who does that. I think it's amazing. I just didn't feel comfortable with it. Right. So I declined. And then as I started having more and more children, I kept finding that I was like saying no to classes. I was, I was not accepting invitations to speak because I was really caught up with raising my family. Yeah. But I still wanted to teach, you know, I still wanted to get the message out there. I still wanted to teach Torah in some capacity. So that's when I said, well, let me see if I can do some writing. Let me try to get an article in. And, mm-hmm. and it was hard. It was really hard to shift because they are two diametrically opposing talents or skills. <laughs> You know, one, when, you know, for example, with speaking, you have to repeat yourself, you have to get lively, you have to dumb down the language and just make it more really relatable. Right. But when you're writing, you never repeat and you have to use eloquent language and otherwise you'll sound like a teeny bopper, you know what I mean? Right. So it's two different skills and I had to learn quick. Um, and I just, I kind of taught myself and went to writing groups and got an article in and one article, then another article, and then columns. And it just, again, it snowballed. And now two books later, I don't, I don't know. It just, it just kind of happened. That's awesome. But you know, you obviously had some sort of raw, raw, like talent for it. And then it was just kind of, you know, getting, finding your voice maybe and, and getting used to it. And I mean, cause I, I enjoy your reading your writing very much. And it, it when I read it, it feels very natural. You know what I mean? That's so, that's such a compliment coming from you. You can't imagine what that means. With the speaking and the writing, can you tell us what you find the most rewarding about both? And then I guess we'll get into your, the book, your new book specifically. Sure. Okay. So they're both extremely rewarding. Um, When I'm giving a class, you know, I see the engagement. I can see when what I'm saying is working. I see when an audience is with me and it feels fantastic. And what's most rewarding about, you know, giving a lecture, so to speak, is when afterwards, you know, for example, I gave something over on Taharada um, Mishpacha, on family purity. And this was to a group of women that were not necessarily interested in the laws, you know, had ne- right. ne- maybe even never heard of it. And afterwards, many of the women came over to me, one, one in particular, I remember, and she said, you know, I always had these negative thoughts about this myth. So I thought it was kind of ridiculous. She's like, but now I really want to do it. She's like, would you be my college teacher when I become, wow. when I get married? and to me, that's like everything. When you see that something you're saying is having an impact on someone and then they want to change. And it doesn't have to even be like an orthodox thing, even like, you know, someone decides and someone makes an effort to just be more calm with their children, whatever it is, when you see that change is taking place and that your, your words are affecting people and they come over to tell you that there's nothing like it. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, that's really why I'm, that's my why. Um, And it's interesting because writing is totally different because when you're writing, you don't see how people are reacting. I have no, I write an article, a column, a book. I don't know what's going on in people's mind until I get the feedback. Right. And so I think one of the most rewarding moments for me really in my entire writing career was very recently. So a couple, I'll tell you, I'll give you the backstory. A couple of years ago, I was reading, not a couple, many, many years ago, I was reading the book by uh, Robertson Esther Young Rice. I think it was the committed life Mm. and reading that book 
um, helped me make a major life-changing decision. And it's not like her book, like said, you got to do this thing. It wasn't even a direct thing. You know what I mean? But I read the book and it sparked something in me. And I was like, I got to do this. And that changed my life's trajectory. Okay. I won't get into now what it was, but then the other day, someone told me that they got my book, they read it and they, um, they, they left an abusive release relationship because of something that they read in my book. Whoa. And to me, it's like, wow. And it's not, obviously I didn't necessarily write about abusive relationships, but obviously it was in there. And, and she said other things, you know, everything aligned or whatever, but it was really because of the book. And to me, that is like, it gives me the motivation. It gives me the fuel to continue knowing that things like that are happening. Yeah. I mean, you, you're literally, you can change lives. I mean, through speaking and writing, especially because it's not like, obviously you are a conduit, you know, like you have a special gift. It's not me. Yeah. No, but it it is you in terms of how you're presenting the information and, you know, people like you and they like, they are more receptive to how you're giving over the information, but it's all, it just shows also like the power of Torah too. Like you're, you're, you're like a conduit for this wisdom, but the way you give it over is, is you very unique to you, you know, like how, like I, at least in this new book, like, I love how you draw the reader in it with like a personal anecdote right away, you know, and then I try, you know, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. No, it's just great. No, I'm just saying, but it's, uh, yeah, it's very powerful to see how, um, how you can change lives through, through teaching Torah, writing about Torah, but in your, you know, your specific way, it's, it's like a merit and it's very cool. Thank you. I mean, I, it's from, I guess my lens and what what I'm trying to do is it's not that I'm preaching or I'm telling someone else what to do. I'm showing you, like I'm on this journey, like I'm taking your hand and I'm saying, come with me up this mountain. Let's do it together. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's what it's about. I show the readers my struggle. I'm struggling with the very things that I'm talking about. It's, it's growth. That's what growth is. Totally. And I think that's why, you know, maybe you relate to my book and I relate to your book is like, this vulnerability, like being a little bit vulnerable, like this is what I'm working on. This is what I found worked for me. You know, like it's where it works in progress. <laughs> so this, I'm really excited about this next question. Sure. Cause I really am personally very curious. How did you find time to write a book with five children Hashem, during Corona? <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. That is a, uh, that is a great question. I ask myself that question sometimes. <laughs> so, um, so I, I have to give you a little bit of a backstory. So, you know, I find that what enabled me to write is actually in technically speaking, it was two books in five years with wow. five children. Oh um, and I found that what happened was, is I found myself saying yes, before I was ready. Mm. Okay. I jumped in before I was really ready. And I'll tell you what I mean. When I was asked to write my first column, I remember where I was. I was in the kitchen. I get the phone call from the editor and he's asking me to write a column, one, two articles every month. And you have to understand at that point, I had only written like three articles or something. And each article took me like, I don't know, a month and a half to write. Like it, it took forever because I wasn't highly skilled. I wasn't, I didn't have the, the technique. I wasn't fast. And I really wasn't ready to do that. But I remembered pausing momentarily on the phone and I was like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, I just said yes. Mm -hmm. And so really that column propelled me to just constantly be writing. Mm -hmm. And so what I found with particularly your question of like, how did I do it during COVID? So actually 
you know, it's funny, COVID was kind of also a propeller because I was expecting my fifth child. I was extremely sick, Jenna, like as a woman, you know, pregnancy can be very difficult. I am, I am sick all 10 months. Like I I get the joy of nausea all 10 months. But what I found was that when I'm nauseous, right, I want to just like curl into bed and and crawl into a hole. Um, (laughs) What happened, what helps me is actually editing my work and writing. It puts me in this zone and my mind is distracted from the nausea and it really helped. Mm. So basically what happened was anyways, I wasn't sleeping because I was too nauseous to fall asleep. So I would be in bed and I would edit my manuscript and I would just edit and edit and edit. And that's how I was able to send it in. And Baruch Hashem, uh, Feldheim accepted it. And that's how it happened was the nausea. I should say this baby brought this book. <laughs> <laughs> you birthed a baby and a book in yeah. one, uh, one shot, which is awesome. One shot. <laughs> That's so cool. I definitely relate to what you're saying. hundred percent having yeah. gone through, um, you know, that kind of sickness myself, thank God. And uh, like, it's amazing because it's so easy when we, especially when we have excuses and when we're afraid to say no, you know, and not to push ourselves. But the fact that you just jumped in with that first column even before you felt like emotionally re- totally ready and capable, like, but that forced you to do it. it it's really great. Oh, I was terrified. I was like, there's no way I can do this, but it's just going to happen one way or another. That's but so I should cool. say, I should really add another thing into to the answer, which is, you know, for everyone to like, what's like a practical piece they can take for themselves mm-hmm. is two things. I, first of all, have a commitment to myself that I write for 10 minutes a day. That's wow. it. I do not write more than 10 minutes a day. I mean, I do but I don't have to, do you see what I'm saying? Like I make a commitment yeah. that I only write for 10 minutes a day. And another little technique of mine is first of all, I don't have, a, I don't have, I don't go on social media so much. So that saves me a lot of time, mm-hmm. but on my phone, instead of having social media, I have Google docs mm-hmm. and I write from my phone. So I could be in carpal line. I'm editing. I could be taking a walk with the baby in the stroller. I'm editing mm-hmm. um, it's little snippets. And, and we would be surprised by how 10 minutes a day, a little quick edit here and there it really, really builds up. That's really, that's very helpful for me personally. (laughs) That's actually really, really helpful. It's so it's, I love how you're all about like the small steps because it really, like you said, they're very powerful and they really do add up. We don't realize. Oh yeah. I mean, that's literally, that's literally how I wrote my first book was like in carpal line. I should call it like, you know, the carpal line book. I don't know. I don't know what I should call it. In carpal. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. Um, Okay. So now I want to shift to your book. Is it ever enough? A journey toward joyful living. I really love that title. So can you tell us, I guess the main idea behind the book? Yeah, sure. Okay. So basically I, I believe, and maybe you disagree with me, but I think you'll, I think you'll agree with me that in our society, it's constantly, there's this whisper in our ears of like more, more, like Mm -hmm. you need more you aren't enough, like you need to be more, you know, so there's this internal drive for perfection and, and, and achieving more and doing yeah. more and having more. Right. And, you know, certainly it's not me pointing at society. Uh, you know, when you point at anyone, there's three fingers pointing back at you, you know, right. I definitely struggle in the area of perfectionism and just constantly wanting to achieve more as well. 
Um, so I write in the book about my own personal struggle, even with like figuring out a title for the book, like no title was good enough. And finally I'm like, all right, this is the title, the end, you know? Um, but I think the book is really recognizing that we have enough, even Mm. if we don't always feel it Mm. and that we are enough, even, even if we weren't always told that, or don't always feel that, you know, we have everything we need in order to achieve what we want to achieve. That's the way God set it up. You know what I mean? That's how he us for life. Yeah. So, you know, and I also have another section called, you know, that's enough out of you, which is uh, dealing <laughs> with relationships. I and I it. also, this is like, particularly for the women, I have a section called I've had enough, which is all about the Hagim, because yeah. I find that, you know, sometimes take Pesach, for example, or, or any of the Hagim, you know, by the time we're sitting on the table at the table at Yom Tov, we're, we're tired, we're exhausted, we're fed up, we don't have the inspiration that we kind of maybe long for. And so I have a couple of chapters on each Chag or each holiday from Rosh Hashanah through, you know, Shavuot, everything um, to kind of like a little tidbit of inspiration to give you something to think about, even when we're dealing with the craziness of the, of the Chag. Of getting ready. That's so, that's great. Yeah. So practical. And I, I just love this idea so much because it, like you said, it's so relevant today. We, we are constantly being told we're not enough. We don't have enough, you know, and, and it's not true. It's just not true. Like, oh, absolutely. You know, especially, especially with social media, by the way, you know, you could have a perfectly wonderful Passover and this happened. I was talking to a friend, she had a great Passover and, you know, everything's fine. And she's telling me about, you know, like everyone was pitching in and everything was wonderful and they stayed home. And then as soon as you go on social media and you look for even a second and someone's posting about the beautiful beach or wherever they were in Hawaii or whatever, it's like, oh, Like it could have been that, like I was satisfied until I realized what else is out there. Mm. And I think that we all get drawn into that uh, at points, especially with what's going on with social media today, you know, hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I like how you connect it with a journey toward joyful living, because it's like, that's how we were happy when, you know, the Torah says like, he who's rich is happy with his lot. Like when we feel like we're enough, even, okay, that doesn't mean we don't want to improve. Obviously we want to improve and achieve and whatever, but feeling like I am enough and I have enough and all these things that, that leads to tremendous satisfaction. Enjoy. I mean, we are great simply because God created us and he, there is a soul inside of us, not because of what we can achieve and not because of what we can do and not because of what we have. You're simply great just because. Yeah. And that's really the message, I think, you know, and also I'm trying to take like there's another section called Nuff Said, which is just taking little everyday moments that happen in our lives and finding a deeper meaning and experience to it. And that's I would say that's like my whole thing is like analogies and metaphors and finding a deeper idea behind the everyday experience that we have so we can infuse our day with like a little oomph, you know? Yeah, totally. And I and I really like how you you like intertwine your own personal experience and stories and then also like Torah wisdom and then also like modern psychology and culture today. I think it's very cool how you intertwine all of them. And I like how also you give like a lot of practical lessons in each thing. That was the other thing I wanted to add. You give a lot of practical takeaways that are, I feel like are very doable. So I, I very much appreciate that. <laughs> um, I mean, listen, that's what I'm looking for. When I go right. to a shear, when I read a book, I want to be able to apply it into my life somehow, even 100%. if it's a tiny way. A hundred percent. Yep. 
And uh, so I guess, okay, so this leads very well into the next and last question, which is what's the main message that you hope readers will take out of this book? Okay, I, I would say that what I would love readers to be able to, to take out of this book is recognizing that whatever Hashem places before you, our job is to say, what's my job here? Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's about becoming your best self. And the way that we do that is whatever God puts in front of us, we have to ask ourselves, what can I do in this moment? It's not about pointing fingers at the other person and what they need to be doing. It's how can I change? What can I do? I'll give you like a, a, just like a cute example or whatever of, of what I'm talking about. You know, I try to take, as I mentioned before, like an everyday moment and find something deeper. Mm -hmm. So I I had actually seen a student of mine that had been, you know, overweight and whatever. And when I saw her, she was looking fabulous. Like her skin was radiant. She looked so happy. She had lost some weight. And I, and I said to her, like, you look amazing. Like, what have you been doing? Tell me your secrets. Tell me everything, (laughs) you know? And she goes, well, I started working out with this trainer. She's really, really mean but she is like the best in this city. And I'm like, Oh, tell me about her. You know? So she says, I'm doing this side plank and she's in, in a side plank and she's like, I'm about to collapse. Right. I I don't have another second inside of me. And the trainer comes over to me and she's like, I'm expecting this trainer to be like, come on, you could do it. You know, five more seconds. You got this right. No. She said, this trainer gets in my face and goes, nothing's going to change if you don't get uncomfortable. Right. And when she said that, I was like, oh, oh, that's perfect. Right. That's life. Nothing's going to change if we don't get uncomfortable. Oh, true. To learn how to bear the discomfort of the moment. Right. You know, if you think, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, please. No. And it's like, if we don't, it, it scares me a little bit this idea because it's like if we don't if we don't take it upon ourselves I feel like Hashem will kind of put us in these situations so it's like I mean I hope like, not hope not we hopefully not hopefully no. not but but whatever it is like you said like whatever it is that we're confronted with you know if it's an if it's a new situation it's an uncomfortable situation like you said instead of trying to like resist it or change it or control it we say okay like what does God want from me in this situation? You know, he set it up this way. He wants something from me, a certain reaction um, or pro-action. Pro <laughs> what should I do? You know, um, that's very, very and, and And lean into it, you know, because lean if you think it. about it, just going back to the whole like working out analogy, people pay a lot of money to get uncomfortable. Yeah. People pay a lot of money for trainers and they pay a lot of money for workout equipment and gym memberships. They are paying to be uncomfortable. Right. Right. So if you think about it, if you're in a situation and you're like, okay, what does God want from me right now? Like, let's say someone is being rude to you, you know, you, you can view them as a trainer giving you the gift of change. Cause it's not comfortable uh-huh. when they say something rude, that's not comfortable, right. but we can do them as our personal trainer, literally helping us to become our best selves. That is so cool. If people are willing to pay for it, we should be willing to deal with it spiritually. Do you see yeah. what I'm saying? It's a total uh, paradigm shift of the way we usually look at things, you know, and it's so cool. Cause if you look at everything as a challenge to growth, you know, or as an opportunity for growth, then that's what it is. And also I, for me personally, I feel like it's also about being like a servant of Hashem and, and understanding like th- it's, it's not about like that person being nice to me or not. It's like, okay, that person was rude to me. I can't change that. All I can control are my thoughts, speech, and action. And how am I going to respond to that? 
And as somebody who's trying to, you know, keep the mitzvot and observe the mitzvot and, and have a relationship with Hashem, like, what does Hashem want from me? How does he want me to respond? You know, like my ego wants me to respond with anger, but like, does Hashem want that? No, <laughs> you know, so it really helps to, to view it like, like that. Speaking of anger, do you want me to tell you like a quick little tool? Someone had asked me about some tools in anger and I just have it on the top of my head. I don't know yeah. if you're interested. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because in one of the chapters, I have a whole chapter on, I think it's like a double chapter on dealing with anger. And the editor got back to me in the book and was like, we have to cut this whole part of it. Like I need something else. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh gosh, what do I do? You know? So I'm sitting down. I remember I was in the kitchen and I'm like thinking, and what am I going to write about? And then I leave the room to go get a book. I think it was by Rabbi Pliskin called anger, right. To come up for some ideas and whatnot. And when I walk into the room, I totally forgot why I went in the room. You know how that happens? Like, has that ever happened to you? They actually call it something, by the way, it's called the doorway effect, which is basically like you completely forget about why you're walking into the room. So then I went back and forth. I finally remember what I was going for and I'm sitting down and I'm writing it. And I realized, Hey, if when we walk out of the room or we walk into a room, because apparently the doorway effect is basically like when you walk through a door, it creates a new context. And so it causes you to forget the original link of what, what you were there for, if that makes sense. Yes. So I realized like, oh my gosh, we can use this to our advantage. Like this can be used for our advantage. We can help ourselves forget why we are upset by wow. standing up, walking away and just cooling off for a second. Wow. And then you can't make this up. I promise. And I wrote this in the book while I was writing up this paragraph about the doorway effect and about like calming yourself down, something very, very upsetting took place. Like on my computer, you know, it was a situation and I, I was really, really upset wow. and I just said, okay, I'm going to try it out. And I stood up and I walked out of the room through the door and yeah, like it, it, it helped. It helped so just cool. like create a moment of like, minimally, you're just giving yourself the space to calm down. But that's, that's really the goal of the book is to look at these moments in your life, you know, small, like a doorway effect. Who's thinking about the doorway effect, but then <laughs> utilizing it to kind of grow and change and utilizing it in a spiritual way. And that's really what this world is created for. Yeah. Everything in the physical world is for us to kind of learn from and change. A hundred percent. Yeah. I feel like it's like that saying, like wearing Torah glasses, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, or seeing, yeah, it's like seeing the world through that kind of spiritual lens of like looking at every situation as an opportunity to grow and be better. And, um, your book is definitely, uh, it's an amazing book for, uh, for inspiring that. Thank you. And I, again, I do mean this, like, it is just such a compliment coming from you because I view you as this phenomenal, phenomenal writer. I'm, I'm telling you, when I read your book, as I said before, it just, I was blown away. I was blown away. You have a gift. You paint with your words. I'm telling you. Thank you so much, Sarah. And, yeah. uh, and the feelings really mutual. I really am enjoying your book and I, I really encourage everyone listening to buy it. And uh, thank you so much, Sarah, for, for joining. Pleasure. What an honor being here today. And we'll speak soon. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, give us a rating, a review, and of course, share with your family and friends. Be blessed.